an adult now. So why in the world did I agree to let the kids get a pandemic puppy? That's what they're calling them. <laughs> you know how that is. The phone rings and you got to get on the meeting and the baby is like, ah, ah, ah. well, that's the same thing this puppy does. I'm like, no, no, I've already paid my dues. I'm not doing this again with a puppy. Mm -mm. Well, wait till the puppy gets to be 15 years old like mine is. And the baby's been sleeping through the night for six months, but the puppy doesn't, gets up twice a night every night. What? So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's, um, that's always fun. <laughs> Uh, but I, I've just kind of gotten used to it now, you know, she shakes and rattles and I get up and walk outside and take her out and then go back to sleep. And then she shakes and rattles. And wow. Again, so. Oh my goodness. Does that ever stop though? Cause my pup still like he started just, he's only five months old now. So we just started learning how to hold it overnight, but sometimes he'll drink water late and he'll wake me up at 2 AM and then. Yeah. Now I got to take them out. And I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, much, 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 much worse now that she's old. Um, you know, there's 12 years of her life, 14 years of her life that that wasn't the case, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it's just, it, it, it gets going worse with age and they, she's been on drugs and they, they have more drugs and, you know, we're paying a small car payment a month on her and all this kind of stuff. But you gotta, gotta like play the, you know, which drugs are work for this, but don't counteract that or don't make her too itchy or don't make her all this kind of stuff. So that, that stuff's uh, it is, you know, the, when I first got uh, Josie, the 15 year old dog, uh, she was seriously ill unbeknownst to me with with parvo what and oh, wow. that's one yeah. thing everyone keeps saying make sure the dog doesn't get parvo mm -hmm. yeah well she had it and she was in the emergency like corn she was quarantined before it was cool to be quarantined wow. uh for a week because it's, it's one of the things that you can't there's not like a shot yeah. to, to fix it you just you, you have it and it's terrible and you either work through it and fight it off or you don't but it's also highly contagious. So um, she got a blood transfusion from a dog that had parvo. What? She got, you know, this was all a long time ago. Before, I mean, I wasn't, I'm not making a ton of money now, but I really wasn't making a ton of money mm -hmm. back then. It was like, you know, $2,500 bill at the end of the week. And you're just like, oh, geez. And, you know, I was uh, talking to my dad a couple, you know, whatever, a couple weeks later, I was like, tell him about all that stuff. And he said, well, you made a commitment. And that was his only piece of advice to me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very true. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where once you do it, you, once you get the dog, even if it happens after one week, you've made the commitment. And so you just keep going. Wow. You well, my out. breeder said, I can, I can bring them back. <laughs> she, <laughs> she said, oh, I'll sell them to somebody else. I'm like, what? Like, is that simple? Cause I was having some well. issues with the kids, like taking seriously that they're supposed to help. So I was like, guys, mm -hmm. listen, I'm a working mom. We got a million things going on. Y'all are still homeschooling. I, you know, it's just like, it's a lot. We're all here. It shouldn't be a problem to his name is Teddy to tend to Teddy when he needs it. Well, you guys just want me to be the mother to another baby. And he's supposed to be for you guys. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to give right. the breeder a call. 
and, and see, because maybe, maybe he needs to go back and join his mom and someone else as a family. And they were just kind of like, you know, like they, like she ain't gonna call. Adam, I called the breeder within 30 minutes. I explained to her, I said, well, the kids are not really helping like they should. And I, and I, it's not fair to the puppy. I want them to, you know, to have more time with, um, you know, the family that, that has him. And I don't, I don't know if it'll change around. And she said, well, Monique, um, I'll take him back. I know someone who needs the, who, who would want him right now, but if not, I'll, I'll take him back from you. Like I'll buy him back. I'll give you most of your money back and I'll just, Somebody else will want him because he's a, he's a purebred. Right. Within 30 yeah. minutes, she had someone that was asking her for a puppy call me. And he was like, he left a message on my <laughs> phone. was like, yeah, I'm looking for a dog. You know, we're looking for a dog for my parents. And we didn't want a brand new one, but one that's around three, four months, exactly what yours is and blah, blah, blah. Like she had a buyer within 30 minutes. <laughs> it's and the kids were like, it's oh, like the housing no, market. No, no. <laughs> You know, and then they, I don't have a problem with them taking him out and stuff now, but before then they, they didn't think that as, as the old folks say, they didn't believe that fat meat was greasy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good for you. (laughs) That's, that is, uh, that's some, uh, it worked, you know, Mm -hmm. I love it. I love, uh, and it is, I, I mean, I, just the commitment of dog is a, like, I think a huge thing for anybody at any age, but like if, if, you know, you can have, you know, kids be involved in that, that way, I think it's a super helpful Mm -hmm. way to teach them how to take care of other people and other, other things. And you know, that it, it just doesn't stop, you know, there's not vacation from it. You know, it's every day you wake up and every night you wake up and you just got to keep doing kind of, Kind of like a startup in a lot of ways, you know, there's no, totally. <laughs> there's no vacation from a startup. You just got to keep going. You got to keep going. It's, and it's a commitment. Like you said, initially, like you started it. Yeah. It's a commitment. It's your baby. Literally. It's yeah. your baby. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, I, we've probably talked about this before, but it's, it is one of those things where I, you know, I'm talking to a couple of companies about hiring now and um, I always, one of the things that I think that they, no one ever quite grasps until you start down that mm-hmm. path is that no one takes the business as serious as you're going to take the business. Mm-hmm. And, um, so they want all these things from these people and they're, I mean, you know, some of these people are, you know, paying pretty good salaries and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And, but. I think they have an expectation and it's one of the things I'm trying to work with folks on is to think about it is these are not, you're not hiring another founder here. You're hiring an employee. So you're going to have to like, if, if some of these expectations you're putting on them, it's going to be, it's just mm-hmm. too high for what they actually are going to do. Even if they're great, it's just not, it's not the 80 hour a week. I mean, I just don't think that's what you're, what you get nowadays. It's just nope. not, not going to be, be that way. Nope. And um, I hope they figured. I mean, I hope they find a good person. But I think that that's like a maturity of a company is being able to say, I can work this person into um, the company. And they're even you know early state or er, er, early hire. They're going to have to be a little bit more of a hustler than someone who's you know working for IBM or something like that. As far as like you have a set role and you do those things. 
that part's obvious, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be what you are mm -hmm. and you're not hiring you, you're hiring part of you away and that's going to be a lot of effort to it. Say it, uh, you're exactly <laughs> right. You know, I, um, and this, this is a common occurrence, but I had a founder recently who had someone that they hired that was supposed to start and he asked to defer his start date for a week. And then it was like, oh, another two weeks. And then he finally sent an email and said, no, I'm not gonna take the job. There's other things that I uh, need to prioritize. And they were really, really hurt. And I was like, oh, I've been there before. Come on now, let, let, me, let me tell you how this works. You will be ghosted more than not as a startup. You hire people, yeah. you, you've negotiated how much you're gonna pay them. And guess what? They never even show up for the job. Like I've had that happen. Like I'm like, this is normal stuff. Don't feel, don't feel bad. This is what all startups go through. If you have someone that's talented that um, can get market rates or above market rates, why would they choose you as a risky full time? That's the thing. You're asking them to choose you over security. And it's a false sense yeah. of security though, but it's a more secure than your startup. Probably, mm -hmm. probably. Yeah, I know that's true. I mean, I think, I wonder what has happened um, over the pandemic as far as like, you know, what some things that, that people will tell you about the remote work environment is it's harder to build uh, a team or camaraderie or something like that. Um, and it certainly has to start not even at the onboarding phase, but at the, you know, pre-hire qualification mm -hmm. phase, like, like, like going through that entire, all those steps without ever meeting the person in person, shaking a hand, having a conversation to the onboarding, to like sitting next to them and walking them through, you know, these five things are like very key to your role. Um, I'm not one that believes those need to happen with every company in person pre-pandemic, but I do imagine that that is a harder way. It's easier for someone to ghost you if they've never met you in person, they've never had a coffee with you or anything like that. There's like even less of a connection um, to you in that way. So I imagine like getting those processes really firmly in place um, and then not having a thick skin about rejection is probably a, a bigger key nowadays. And what do we say? We keep saying over and over again, startups is all about rejection. Everything, you're rejected every single day about everything, everything. Hiring people, selling your product, like trying to get advisors, you know, everything is about daily rejection. And as you say, getting that thick skin. Um, I don't think you ever not feel that little bit of a jab, like, ah, that hurt. Okay, let me keep going. But it's like, how fast do you get up? It's just that the more it happens, you get you, you tend to get up a little faster. But, you know, I've never had anyone ghost me that has met me. I've actually had people work for me for free who have met me, <laughs> right? Because they're like, oh, I can learn so much in this. Like even I can just give you 10 hours a week. And I've met the most wonderful people um, who I actually never paid anything to. And they stay with me for years. So, but that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the, 
the part where you said um, it's harder to go someone that you've met before. That's very, very true. Um, the, all the ones that have ghosted me, yeah, m- most of the time it was a um, maybe one video, but everything else was over the phone. Yeah. 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 I mean, that is, that is really easy to, to walk away from at that point. I, I almost, I'm surprised they walk, you know, at that point, mm-hmm. you know, if they show up at all, you're like, Oh, I didn't even expect yeah. it. Um, <laughs> but you know, that to that idea of like getting used to being rejected, I'll tell you one thing that I've been thinking about recently, actually, we, we've been going back and forth talking about a potential company at the ATDC. And I, what I've really enjoyed about, talking with you about this company is like you're asking questions and like putting up like like this might not be the right fit and here's some and, and like forces you to, forces me to think about some of these things which I feel like I miss a little bit like I don't feel like I get as much of this in corporate world as I did in in my own business world or, or, or in maybe business world in general, which is like people having fair, honest disagreements about things or just asking, like, I think there's like, maybe it's, we don't want to hurt someone's feelings or it's like, "Eh, it's not, you know, it's not worth the fight or whatever these ideas might be. But man, it's, I think it's really valuable to be able to like, you know, especially me. Cause like I have ideas all the time and I need people to be like, that's not a good <laughs> idea sometimes. Cause, cause if not, I'll just keep saying them. And then like, you know, we keep doing them and some of them aren't going to work. And I just be like, I wish someone would have told me that. That's how like, I feel back a little. <laughs> I don't want people to tell me the truth, but a lot of people, they don't, they actually don't want to hear the truth, but they don't know that they don't want to hear the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I will say that I appreciate it about you. I appreciate it about people that where it's not even like, and, and I mean, there's ways you can say it that, that can literally hurt someone's feelings or be rude or mean, yeah. but just like having a conversation, it's like, have you thought about it this way? Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, no, actually, no, I haven't. Or I have, and this is why I thought about it and be able to like explain and work out your thought process mm-hmm. with other people is, you know, like, a key to creativity and good ideas and, and getting the good ideas versus the bad mm-hmm. ideas and like stand up comedians go and practice their set in front of, you know, five people for years before they have a set that they think is worth sharing with the world. And like this idea that in business world or corporate world or whatever, that someone can just come in and be like, here's the idea. And everybody's like, sounds good. We'll do it. Or sounds good. You do it. Like whatever, <laughs> like without having a discussion back and mm-hmm. forth, I think you're missing out um, in a lot of ways. So uh, I would, I would uh, encourage more disagreement uh, in the workplace. Not, not less. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think sometimes you find some people that just want to disagree for the sake of disagreeing, but Um, I I think a lot of my questions come from authentic curiosity to understand because I want to help. I'm like, okay, so I I spoke with a company that you told me about this week and uh, not this week, but I spoke with them this week, but you told me about them a while ago. And, um, you know, we actually talk, we're talking through for 30 minutes. We're talking through. And um, it was great because because I really want to understand what he, what he wants to do. 
And I want to be helpful to that and not impede it at all. So, um, but I don't want, I always tell people, I don't want you to waste time and money going in the wrong direction or chasing the wrong thing where that effort and energy and money and all of that could have went toward, you know, that, that way that's going to get you where you're trying to go. And so, um, I really spent time trying to understand what can, and once I really understood, I'm like, ah, okay. So this is how you can expand your thinking on that. How about once you finish, um, you know, you're, you're making good money, but the way we look at it is to see if you're a fit for ATDC, I'm just use one point. Can the revenue from your company, can it provide a VC who has, 100 LPs, each a 10x return. And he's like, no. And I was like, exactly. See, that's that's what I'm that's what we're looking for. But he was so, but we talked through it to get to that point because he really helped me understand what he was doing. But he said, as we talked through, I my long-term goal is to actually have a platform that does this, this, that, and the other, because now I'm starting to have those customer discovery conversations with the folks that I'm making decent money with right now. But in order to become that venture backable business, this platform sounds like where I need to be. And I was like, that's right. And as you are gathering this data from these customer discovery conversations, and it's about what you ask and how you ask it. And you, it's, a, it's a science, it's an art to that, that you know, we teach. But if you don't want to come to the class, I told him the videos he can go and watch. You know, I told him who the guy is. I told him the books. And he's like, all right, cool. He's writing it down. And then I said, once you gather the information, get three or four advisors. And I'd be willing to be one to spend an hour or two. And you share with us the insights you've learned from the data you collected, from all those hundreds of conversations. And then we're going to ideate on what there's challenges are and then what the solutions to be because your platform is your idea without knowing what they really need like that you haven't gotten that feedback from them yet on where their real challenges are they're using a feature of something that you have but you're going to have these customer discovery conversations and you're going to be able to to have some qualitative and quantitative data that we can just pull some insights from and then come up with an idea for that venture backable business. And in the meantime, while you're doing that, keep me updated. When you have your update emails, keep me on it. You know, I'm going to insert and share ideas and, and information with you. So I think what we do at ATDC is very real when it comes to like, we can really crush somebody's dream and say, oh, that's not gonna work. You're not a fit, get out of here. <laughs> or we can say, Keep me posted. And these are some things that you can do to help you kind of stretch the idea for your business even bigger because it takes just as much work to build a small business as it does a big business. That's right. That's amen to that. And it, it is, that's one of the things that is kind of a really nebulous point for what I mean, this might be a little inside baseball, but a little nebulous point for what the ATDC where a company comes and makes the perfect fit for them is it like is it after they've gotten to that point where their plan is there and ready to go or is it like right before that where you're helping them get take that next step and like i think 
my understanding is at least some there's like different coaches have different opinions on some of those things. Um, and it's, but it's also, but, but that makes it because a business is never closed. Mm-hmm. You're always awake working on it. It's always evolving and changing. And you just never know when that, like that switch flips and it goes from this thing that's going to be a good business for you and a couple of people to a venture backable business to a successful venture backable business. And, um, it's, it's a small group of advisors and people to help you get to that point is, is pretty valuable, but where ATDC fits in that thing is a very tough thing to sometimes figure out, I think. Um, and I, I, you know, when people get frustrated, not, when some people get frustrated with the ATDC for not being like they thought they should have been a company and they weren't in yet or whatever it might be, um, I will say, you know, in my own experience, it's hard on the other side of it too. <laughs> Everybody on the, you know, the ATDC side is not 100% sure, like, if this is the right one or this is not the right one. There's like a little bit of an art and a yep. little bit of a science to yep. it. And like, you have to like, you know, stick with it sometimes and be more, you know, some people are, you know, keep you in the loop, but don't bug you too much or what, whatever it might be, like take the coaching, but you know, don't go crazy. Mm-hmm. Like there's just so much to mm-hmm. it that it's, it's always working, involving and changing um, from both your business side and the ATDC's, ATDC's business side. There's not like a set, it's not, it's not college where you get, right. you know, a 4.0 and, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. 1550 on your SATs mm-hmm. and you're, you got a lot of options. Like there's like, there's none of those metrics That's out right. there in the world. So we've, we've got to kind of figure that stuff mm-hmm. out as we go and evolve. Mm-hmm. So. It's uh, not a nice little neat equation, right? Like, yeah. you know, so many variables in there um, and they're, you know, the, the, the process of building a company is not the same for everyone. It's so many different variables. And so, but there are certain things that are staples and we do teach that consistently at ATDC. There's an underlying philosophy on how we build businesses, you know, um, help people build businesses versus some other entities. And so, you know, as a lot of people know that ATDC, our philosophies are really based upon the lean startup, starting things the lean way um, until you get some customer validation before you start pouring all your money, heart and soul into something. Um, Because, you know, as Steve Blank (laughs) says, he's so funny. He's like, yeah, people thought startups are just smaller versions of big companies. And they're not, they're not smaller versions of big companies. They're a temporary organization that's trying to figure it out, figure it out if they have a business there. And I think um, a lot of people think their business idea is more mature than it actually really is. And so they, they feel as if they should be, let's say a portfolio company because they've really thought through what they want to do versus I haven't done customer discovery and gotten customer validation yet to even be doing all of this. 
So I spoke with a guy, interestingly enough, I spoke with a guy last week who's new to the city. He, he really sees it. From what I hear about ATDC and from speaking with a few of you um, that I've spoken to already, ATDC sounds like a magical place. And the things that you've said to me, no one else has ever said before. And the number one thing was, and I think he spoke to you before, um, Adam. I think he had spoken to you before, he said. And, I, and the, the number one thing was, he felt as if he needed to have his platform all built out. Um, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna have my platform all built out and all that, and then I'll come back to you. And I was like, actually, no. From, what, from the problem that your business solved, you don't need to do another thing with that platform. Actually, stop, don't even touch it. You know, you can manually solve that problem for these people to see if that's something that they're willing to pay for. Like you haven't done any customer discovery. So I don't, I don't want you to build your platform. That's not, that's not the deciding factor. I want you to go back and do some, learn how to do customer discovery. And if you don't have time, I tell them the videos and I tell them the book and I, and I say, Hey, you got the link. You can book virtual time with me again. If you kind of want to walk through your questions, um, if you don't want to do the classes, but that's where I'm going to take you back to. I, I, I don't think you need to be this, this uh, rocket scientist with this masterful um, platform that is like so amazing that does all these things. What prepares you for portfolio is having a handle on what your customers actually want and are willing to pay for. And some people think because they have a full built product, that means that they have a business that's ready to take off. And that's not the way it works. And that's not the philosophy that ATDC has had 41 years of success on either. Well, now I want to know who this guy is. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I know. Uh-huh. Uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to think. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, that, that part, the, you know, build everything before you have a customer thing is such a, it just gives me the willies so mm-hmm. much, not only because of the, lean startup and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff, but just from me taking money from people who did that and then yeah. watch them just throw that money well, to me. Right. I mean, I money, <laughs> you had like, the company they was paying but, to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but it, it, it just, it's sometimes so much easier to write a check, to make the product, to make the thing That's you the think is part. right before you do any business mm-hmm. validation around it. And then no one's happy when it's when it's over. You're not happy you wasted all that money. The people that built the thing thinks it's really cool and want other people to use it, and they can't. That can't happen either. Like nobody's happy, and so, um, yeah, I, 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 I do. I mean, I, I will say, like, I have a predisposition to um, companies that have people that can build the thing on the team because mm-hmm. I know that finding that team is very hard but i also have a predisposition to people that have said we've we've built something with money and it's bringing us money in Mm -hmm. uh those two things are like i mean it doesn't have to be it can be a no code you know low code solution Mm -hmm. Uh, um but then you're like well at least these people are figuring it out was back to earlier when we were talking about boxy and how he just had 50 he bought burner cell phone from Walmart. burner friends. Yeah, yeah. You got to love him. He, he, he did the thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I have a founder in a portfolio right now. He's made millions off of his MVP. He's right now getting to um, getting a new team together to build his 
product because right now as a term we used to use in construction is it's being held together by duct tape and bubble gum right now but it's still bringing in bringing in the money for him but that goes to show you that you don't have to have it all figured out before you get market validation and that's what i want people yeah. to, that's what i want people to do that's what i want people to understand and but we tell them that right we tell them that but we also show them how to do it through the class series um and referring them to certain books and things um so I think we got to refocus on that. And that philosophy is not something that is touted by most accelerators because they want you to accelerate, right? Really, really fast while you're in that six week or eight week program because they need to, to see something for that money they've just invested into you. Because see, they get equity in the company and, and it's right. important for them to see that you make some progress in that, in that amount of time, even if it is false validation. But with ATDC, we don't have a dog in the fight. And I, and I tell people that every single time. I even, even though many of us can or do invest in companies, we can't invest in these companies at ATDC. And, and rightfully so, yeah. because we only, we're only here to see you succeed, not to get a return on our investment, none of that. So we don't have a dog in the fight and everything that we're telling you is literally to help you. Um, no other reason. Yeah. Right. No, it is, it is, it is the, the founder is the reason, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, that is it. And, and, and you get so much more, you know, other pieces of data from other people, uh, other advice. It could be very valid, mm -hmm. you know, but it's, if you, if it's somebody that's put a bunch of money in, they might just be like, we need some money back from this one. This is not going to be our 10 X or, and, yep. but we need, you know, whatever. And they're going to give you advice that, that is not good for you. Mm -hmm. It might be, a, you know, just, there's so many other reasons. And I will say that for, for me, it is always like such a clear focus on that side of things. Yep. Like the person I'm talking to right now is the person that is like, I, I am trying to help is this mm -hmm. person, not some nebulous legal entity or right term sheet or, or cap table or anything like that. Like those aren't my, my concerns. I mean, so, um, yeah, I think that part of it's really cool mm -hmm. and, and it's very clear and helping people kind of grow. And I, I really do hope that, um, more people can build, um, you know, like I, I feel good about the idea that there are more people that can build prototypes now that get them to profitability mm -hmm. or get them to showing some validation through, through money coming in because there's so much mature market out there. Right. Like I, I've seen uh, five or six products in the same space recently. One of them is like a product that, that took a, a, a team, effort and talent to build a like unique experience. The rest are grabbing this from here and this from here and this from here and putting them all together in a, in a kind of jigsaw puzzle, Frankenstein monster okay. jigsaw puzzle <laughs> of a product, but they're all work and they all solve, they're all solving similar needs because of that. And I, I think that that's, you know, that's great. Like if, if that is all you need for, for the short term, don't, go further than that. If, 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 a, you know, 
don't build a video player if YouTube works. Don't b build, you know, one-on-one uh, -on -one chat technology if Zoom works. Like there are these things you can do to get you to a step of product validation before you have to get to, or customer validation before you get to like having to build all that stuff natively and custom in, inside. It's a, it's a kind of powerful time to be trying to build stuff. Um, if you just know all the different, you know, things and, and, and have enough, like you said, you know, duct tape and bubble gum to, to put it all mm -hmm. together. Yeah. Um, Start somewhere, but you know, you have that bigger, that bigger vision. I think like, you know, I was just saying, I just feel like, you know, maybe explaining it a little bit more, you know, the work that I do with teaching at the university is to clear all this stuff up before that generation even gets out here pitching, right? And they're like, oh, wait, I'm so glad I took this class first because I'm like, no, 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 that's not a startup. And they're like, yeah, I got this, um, you know, and I'm like, it's a start, like you're just starting a business. I, I get that. But that's not how we define startup in the startup world, you know? And so I'm like clearing these things up with that next generation that's coming through. So maybe we can have a little bit more clarity because to be honest with you, the ecosystem in Atlanta is, is still maturing. You know, we don't all speak the common language. Like you go out to, to um, Palo Alto, you know, Silicon Valley and all that, you know, everyone speaks the same language because they've been, they've been doing it for a while with each other, right? And you have school, you know, Stanford, I would, get, I would say is similar to like how Georgia Tech is like bringing it all together. Um, the PhDs and everybody's working on things, but we have so much fragmentation here. And I just feel like those more mature ecosystems such as in um, Silicon Valley, they've been working together for so long that they, they kind of synchronize a little bit better now. Um, and I think we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think what's very kind of interesting, but is making probably this even more difficult in Atlanta. It's just this kind of crazy influx of outside you know, companies and successes and all this kind of stuff flowing in there, plus some locally grown ones mm -hmm. getting to much bigger stages now. And there's just like so much going on. There's like so much vibration in the air of like all these different um, size companies and all this kind of stuff that like, it's not quite clear how that all just explodes or forms into a kind of the big bang theory of the Atlanta tech scene. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, the, the way, the way that like some of these things you hear about is like Austin started with Dell being successful. And then that grew like a whole set of people that were able to afford to do their own things and grow their own things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Seattle with, uh, with Microsoft and then Silicon Valley had a couple of them and, but they also had Palo Alto and they, they also had Stanford and all this yeah. other kind of stuff that was kind of growing them and, and shooting them out as well. So it, it became just like this super one, super thing. And like with Atlanta for a long time, a lot of the bigger things weren't the kind of bigger things that like spun off 15 other companies out of yeah. those smaller companies mm -hmm. or, or that one big explosion. 
but I think now with the, some of these bigger ones are probably turning into that. Mm -hmm. Like I think that it might be that a green light or uh, a Calendly or something like that, you find out, you know, in you know, ten years from now, that the people that were involved early on on the, on those and made some really good money on that were able to start another. 10 companies because of the money they had in there and the, and be able to grow and they kept like growing that ecosystem. The part that's just weird about that is also Microsoft is coming into town. Microsoft give Monique and I a wave and, and we got, we got things to talk to you about. Uh, but Microsoft is coming into town. Airbnb is coming yeah. like all these other ones that have, have done that in other places and are now just, they're not putting in the, they're not bringing the people in that are the, the money people, they're bringing the people in with high paying jobs, but not the, I'm making enough money to, you know, bankroll three or four new startups out of it kind of stuff. So it's this weird, I don't know. I, it, it's a, it's a kind of an interesting inflection point for Atlanta where it's not just uh, corporate anymore, mm -hmm. but it's not exactly startup. Uh, it, there's a, there's a, there, there will be a shakeout, uh, I think in the Atlanta startup ecosystem here pretty soon. Yeah. Me too. It's it's getting interesting. I don't know. I, I, I just, as an outsider, I just got to say it can be clickish. So I don't know if um, they'll, if they'll understand how to navigate when they first get here, you know, like the Airbnbs and the Microsoft, maybe at first, you know, everyone will be like, oh yeah. But then after, you know, that, that freshness kind of wears off, it's kind of like, yeah, where do you fit in? Where do you fit in? Who yeah. are you friends with? Um, mm -hmm. Oh, no, I, I think that it's going to be easier for a while for those mm -hmm. big, big people with big names and, mm -hmm. you know, than somebody who's just coming in to kind of uh, make a name for themselves. But um, yeah, I think long term, there is going to be probably some pushback <laughs> to people. Being oh, like, yeah. You know why? Because those companies are going to be not not stealing talent, but attracting the talent that you know local companies want. So it's gonna it's gonna cause a little rift there. And if they're not friends with that with any of these clicks, huh, there might be some problems. <laughs> yeah, and I could I could see, and I'm not, not saying this is a right attitude, but I understand the attitude of someone saying we've been here in Atlanta for 25 mm -hmm. years working hard to build up this community, and you're coming in and just taking reaping all the rewards of our hard work and effort into this and 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 what's the what's the fairness mm -hmm. of that uh just because you 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 want to do some things that we've been we've been doing for ourselves for a long Pretty time much. we don't need you here to do it just <laughs> and then they swoop in so. with all the nice little tax advantages and all the incentives mm -hmm. they got for coming here and building here there tends to be some resentment locally so um yeah I'm, I'd just be interested to see how this uh, pans out. It's, it's like, I, yeah, I think we're both kind of outsiders on this as, as, and that we're not like, you know, having to hire tons of this talent mm -hmm. or, you know, any of the stuff, just seeing it all from both like the tech people moving in and then like the movie industry kind of booming in, mm -hmm. in the greater Georgia area, thanks to, you know, incredible the tax, tax credits it's basically well. free to create a movie here yeah so it's like <laughs> and if they don't even use all of their tax credits you know they can give them to their friends 
Yeah, they can transfer them. So then that's why other movies come here. Other studios come here and build and use the credits of a, of a friend who didn't use all of theirs. It's, that's hilarious. Yeah. I didn't know that. Like you just, you go to a dinner party and they're like handing out tax credits <laughs> as a, as a parting gift or something like that. That's. <laughs> yeah. They've got that's, to figure that's it out. Mm -hmm, but, but that's the thing. So people are kind of like, well, that's not fair. You know, I've been trying to break through or, you know, whatever it is, like you mentioned with the companies that have really been cultivating relationships here, all for someone like Microsoft, a big name to come in and, and swoop them up. And this is where, you know, right. being a, a right to work state or being, um, you know, being one of the best places to work in Georgia, um, you know, needs to be real because <laughs> when when people are leaving in mass exodus to go work for Microsoft versus, you know, Cox or Coca-Cola or whatever it is, they'll start reevaluating how they're hiring people. That's number one. This hiring system here, not just here, but just internationally, but especially, um, you know, in the States, it's terrible. You know, I was helping a, an alum from Scheller. Um, I don't even know him, but I felt bad. For, I felt bad for his journey. You know, I was like, man, this is crazy. And I was like, you know, um, if there's anyone in my network that can be helpful to you, you know, I'm more than happy to help you. And his resume to me was perfect. And he felt like he just needed to keep changing it. And, it's, and I was like, no, you're not going to find your next job with that resume. It's going to come from relationships. Right. Yeah. Get, get, get on that, uh, LinkedIn and start making your posts yeah. and make your connections and all and that. And then they'll just stuff, use right? the resume to back up their decision. Yeah. I, I, I don't know anything about that. I would love to see like the modern day, um, like all these, you know, new hiring softwares, like how, how much of the robots take over the like scanning of resumes and like, is there like algorithm hacking and in, in that just like there's algorithm hacking and uh, LinkedIn or, or Google. And mm -hmm. I, I, I have to imagine there is. Um, the keyword so stuffing like, thing, you know, um, yeah. with putting certain words in your keywords. So the applicant tracking system, the ATS system um, will select your resume if it has a certain um, percentage of these keywords on it. Um, but even with that, it's still the hiring processes overall are crazy. I said this back in the 2000s when I first knew it was happening because I knew some friends and even my corporation, major corporations, we would post jobs that we already knew somebody internally was slated for. And we would post these right. jobs nationally. People really giving their best shot, hiring resume writers, all filling. I say, here we go. They're filling out the form, right? They're uploading their resume. Then they have to retype it in, <laughs> in the form, all to not have anyone ever call them back or email yep. them back or say anything. That has to stop. It should be, and people were laughing at me then, but I still stand by what I said. It should be against the law to post jobs that are already slated for somebody internal to your organization. It should be against the law. You know why? Because those kind of, of tactics 
frustrate and demotivate the working population to the point that they think is something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And it's you. But isn't yeah. that, isn't it fascinating? Because I think that the reason that that started, right, is because it's, for a sense of fairness, right? There, There's a sense that like, we can't just automatically give the job to Bob. We have to say that we've they gone out and this done game. this. Yeah, they plan the game. And and so they're doing it, and it, but it's like it's just a complete lie. Mm-hmm. And you know that it'll be the same thing with. And we've talked about this before, where you're like, you you need three or five uh, proposals, right. but the, <laughs> the the person knows the person they're giving the job to. But it's a sense of fairness kind of thing, and it's just like not. It's doing it by the letter of the law, but not like for the spirit of the law to like make those things happen. So like you you got to reevaluate the incentive structures and all this kind of stuff to, to make that Absolutely. something that is legitimately fair. Like, like, like it is leg- mm-hmm. like, and like some of it's just really, I don't know the answer to that. It seems really hard to be like, um, mm-hmm. like uh, it's in, in, in the NFL, there's a Rooney rule where, where head coaches are supposed to, if you're going to hire a head coach, you need to hire uh, to interview at least one black candidate before mm-hmm. it's part of the interviewing process. Mm-hmm. And the thought process behind that is even if that person is not the right person for that job, it's important to have those conver- those people no. like those conversations and, and, and it drives people crazy and rightfully so. And, and, and then they, and they waste their time. And then they're just like, I'm not, I don't want to be your token interview for this position that you know that you're going to hire this other mm-hmm. person for. So they, they, it's this attempt to do something right, but it's, and, and by doing so, it, it, it just causes more animosity mm-hmm. and hatred or, or, or frustration. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just, so there's got to be, it's a whole new thing that has to be thought up. And like these like simple, simple fixes just cause more frustration. And like you said, this idea that, you know, people can be posting what these seem to be like these great jobs and having hundreds of people apply for them. And then they know that, that even if you get through all these kind of crazy, mm-hmm. you know, algorithms and all this kind of stuff, it still doesn't matter because there's already somebody, it's already somebody slated for it. And then, so what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, But this is the other thing, which you might hear some people share but it's not really talked about much but i know this happens because i was at companies that have done this and companies that still do it um they will post jobs to keep a warm pipeline it's actually part of their marketing budget so monster that's back when monster was good a company i worked for um would post jobs on there we had no intention on hiring people for those jobs but it kept a bank of resumes and it kept our name out there so that people saw us as a viable employer. It was actually part of the marketing budget. So people submitted Hmm. to those jobs and I know many companies that do this, they actually look at that whole process of posting jobs as part of marketing their company. And again, that should be illegal. Yeah, it it is, it should Mm -hmm. be. I agree. Mm-hmm. This idea of playing with anybody's like time and emotion in that kind mm-hmm. of way um, really um, is detrimental. And like, I, I did see this guy, it was like a comment of, so I, I don't, I don't know the person on LinkedIn, but he, 
he did post like it was, he did this really long melancholy post about how he's been rejected 375 mm -hmm. times since he started his job search. And this is, and he's been doing all these things on LinkedIn and posting regularly and ran, started a podcast about his journey and all this stuff. And he still keeps getting rejected and rejected and rejected. And he said, this is my last post. I'm done with it. I don't, oh, I don't know I if I'll keep that. applying for a job. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're just like, I, I'm done. Kind of, I, I mean, honestly, if you can't get a job with all that effort, then you're doing, you need to reevaluate your process for doing it anyways. But man, that was it. Like, it, it's one of those things where like you understand why that person could mm -hmm. get to a point where they just, their entire energy has been drained Completely. and their emotions sapped. And, and maybe of the 375 jobs that he applied for, maybe 75 were actually jobs that he could even have an opportunity right. to get. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that number makes it a little bit, a little bit more manageable, but uh, we yeah. got to stop this. Yeah. And, I, and I told people like um, that are really looking for a job and trying to get into the workforce. And of course they'll reach out and say, Oh, I want to work for a startup. I'm like, do you really, do you really? Cause if that's the case, then startups that post jobs are actually really hiring. <laughs> like <laughs> if you want someone to actually call you back and consider you startup, <laughs> are the way to go so i'll tell point. you where to go yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so yeah that's one thing that you know we can't compete with market rates but um we can compete in that way so then it comes down to what do people value right do you value being your time being respected you making a significant uh, contribution to the growth of a company, um, you know, those kind of things. Like, what do you really value? Because those are things that you do get working for a startup, including a response to your email um, that, <laughs> that you sent over with your resume. Right. Yeah. At least, uh, <laughs> thank you. You're not a exactly. You still get most. <laughs> exactly. If you could even do that, it would be nice mm -hmm. uh, to have like a personal response and people will say that they, um, won't do that because they get too many uh, resumes in. But I think most of it, you're right. Is the reason they don't do that is because it, the email would actually be we aren't we didn't even look at your resume because uh, Bob was already uh, it had already started by the exactly. time you you, you yeah. know what we really and and I know this probably exists and people think that you know some of those popular websites where people upload their resumes and. Um, you know, it's, inter it's international, it's national. Like you can go on there and just search by city, this is that and the other. But I really think there needs to be a company that focuses on local job matching for um, companies and employees. Because honestly, I, I think I may have, uh, I don't know if I told you this, but I'm, I'm telling you this now publicly, but someone from Target reached out to me on um, LinkedIn and said, hey, I'm looking for, um, people who have like PMPs and project men, you know, I see you're a PMP. So I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll share this with some folks in my network that I, that I know are looking for a job. Oh, one caveat, you need to move to Minnesota. Okay. I, I did send it to a few people and then I was like, no, I, I cannot move to Minnesota. And so I let the person know, <laughs> I was like, I just want to let you know so far, that's a hard sell, <laughs> you know, trying to get someone from the South <laughs> to, to, to agree to move to Minnesota. So no, I think you need to focus those efforts locally, you know, like don't put that on Indeed. 
how put like what is the local <laughs> thing for you for your like we need right. local things because these companies know that they are not interested in relocating somebody for real for real you know i got relocated right. by a, co- a company a couple times but the last time um they relocated um and this was B, um, bk which we call before kids it cost the company seventy thousand dollars to relocate us here I mean, who's, who's doing wild. that? You know, like, you know, you really don't uh, want to spend that kind of money. And we were only one state <laughs> away. I was in Florida moving to Georgia. $70,000. Wow. What did you, you had some crazy. No, uh... I didn't. First of all, you know how commercial rates are. So when a company, mm-hmm. a, a major corporation hires a moving company, it costs, it costs. But when I tell you they, they, I personally couldn't afford that kind of move-in service, <laughs> but they literally, I didn't have to pack anything. They're just like, no, just leave everything. You can be there. But the people came in, they put stickers on everything, number from one to, you know, a million, whatever it is. And mm-hmm. they packed everything. They brought all the boxes to tape. They labeled every box and they wrote down, you know, um, the location of the box. They loaded the truck, they get to a facility. And again, went through each number, made sure everything was there. When we, um, when I bought another house, they they paid the closing costs. Um, they paid for corporate housing, which was two grand a month, for um, until we until we found a house. Like all those things add up. You know what I'm saying? We didn't ask for that, but that's just kind of the standard package that that they do. Um, and but those are things to really get the talent that you want and. If, if it's that special, right? If that person has whatever it is you're looking for. Um, I was shocked. I'm like, wow, you know, I, I, I don't think most companies really want to do all that in order to, to get this executive that they claim they want. No, you want someone local. You're trying to get the cheapest person you can get to do the job. And let's just be honest about it. You're not going to pay 70 grand to relocate somebody. And so, oh, they sold That's my house, wild. by the way. <laughs> and I had equity in it and that all went to me. So you would think that that would go to, you know, like something. Nope. Right. Mm-mm. Man, I could, are they hiring now? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're not relocating anymore. That's for sure. They did stop doing that. I'd, I had a buddy who got relocated to California from South Carolina. And instead of paying all that stuff, they gave him money. And he just... I've never seen a man fit so much stuff in a U-Haul <laughs> truck, including pulling pulling his Jeep and his two dogs and all this kind of stuff across the country <laughs> with him so he can keep as much of that relocation See? money as possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing what the incentive structure will do for you. That's so true. When I graduated <laughs> from college, um, I had, uh, well, when I used to, and I think I was telling you this, when I was interviewing when I was in college, like me and my, all my friends is like, this is so cool. Like they would literally fly us out, send limousines to the airports to pick us up. <laughs> they gave us, um, uh, not money orders. What's those check called traveler's checks. They would give us those. So we had spending money. Like those are the things they was doing when we were coming out of college. You know, when folks were interviewing us, you think they companies doing that now? No way. 
No way. They would put us up in nice four and five star hotels and wine and dine us. I mean, it was it was incredible. I couldn't wait to graduate. I was like, is this what life is going to be like? <laughs> well, they weren't doing that for political science majors. I'll tell you <laughs> oh, it, was, it was amazing. I was like, wow. So. So anyways, the company that I ended up going with, they had flown me out and done all that stuff. And I ended up going with um, that company, with one of the companies that did that. And they sent the check. You know, they did the same thing, like with your buddy. Um, I don't remember how much it was, but I know that it paid my rent um, for the moving truck and movers. But I had college furniture. So, I mean, I think I gave most of the stuff away to the students on campus and the other little stuff, I, I had it shipped down. They stored it until I got there. Um, you know, they, they 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 did a lot. They, you know, it, it did, it went a long way. It was enough money to pay me until, and pay for everything until I actually started work and got my first check. Yeah, that's, I just need more of the $80,000 white, white glove service because I, like if you give me the money, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to. I'm never going to do that. But I would like to experience that one time oh, in my lovely. life where it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's lovely. Yeah. I remember standing there drinking a smoothie while all the movers literally and they <laughs> literally rolled out red carpets, you know, that they walked on throughout the house, and the house was spotless um, when they were done. And you know how some movers or even you when you move, right? You got trash here and mm -hmm. tape there and nope. Mm -mm. Thanks for listening to our podcast. To subscribe or listen to our back catalog, go to aflyonthecall.com.